Welcome to another great archive from Restorative Justice on the Rise, which is an ongoing telecast series for you and we the people. Dialogue, education, extraordinary way showers, sharing stories, mobilizing efforts in the grassroots and much beyond, both nationally as well as worldwide, in the field of restorative justice, as well as other related peace building forums and topics. This archive from October 10th, 2013 features Fania Davis from Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth and perhaps even more importantly, the extraordinary Destiny Shabazz who is a freshman in Oakland and is a part of the Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth programs. For more information about Our Joy, go to ourjoyoakland.org. Enjoy this archive and we'll see you soon at another council. Be sure also again to check out the archives at www.restorativejusticeontherise.com. Welcome to Restorative Justice on the Rise. As many of you know, this is a regular series every Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's live and it's dialogue, connection, education, practical tools for restorative justice systemic implementation and a lot of great folks from all over the country and beyond sharing stories and hearing from some of our uh, great way showers in the field. There are so many of you. So this series, I want to emphasize, is for you, for we, the people, to talk real about the moment in time that we're in regarding our justice system and its transformation. So if it's your first time with us tonight, it's uh, just a pleasure to have you here. This series is co-sponsored by the Peace Alliance, and I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. We archive every single dialogue and council, and I'd like to call your attention to the fact that we're building a new archive and podcast website, so your patience is appreciated as we build that. We have over 100 archives of conversations with extraordinary human beings doing great work in the world. These resources are free of charge, and if you feel like donating to Restorative Justice on the Rise, we certainly won't turn you away. Uh, you can do that at thepeacealliance.org and go to Restorative Justice as a sub-tab in that menu. I'm really excited to share um, who we have with us tonight. It's uh, just an honor, and I'll do that in just a quick moment. But before I do that, pointing out again, you can go to restorativejusticeontherise.com. That's all one long word, restorativejusticeontherise.com. Also, please check out the Peace Alliance and the sub-tab menu, Restorative Justice. If you're in Colorado, we'll be celebrating the new law that just passed, the Restorative Justice Pilot Project, with uh, Representative Pete Lee and also Beverly Title and many other representatives in the field. And that will be on November 2nd in Longmont at the Front Range Community College building. So you're cordially invited to come to that free event. If you're not in Colorado, pass on the word if you'd like to. And um, without further ado tonight, um, I just want to mention uh, before I welcome our extraordinary guest speakers um, that 
again, you are a participant in this conversation, so if you'd like to ask a question tonight, um, we'll probably break around the halftime and then towards the end to open it up for, for questions. And if you want to do that on your phone um, live, you can press 1 on your telephone keypad. If you're dialing in from Skype, many people do. This conference is accessible through Skype. Um, press 1 on that telephone keypad on Skype. As many of you also know, you can pre-submit questions for every single conference, and we try and get to the ones um, that we feel our guests will want to talk about more more deeply aligned with the topic of the night. So, whew, a lot of information to share, lots going on. So, first of all, tonight is dedicated to our youth. The programs that um, Fania Davis ha has helped to implement, and she's extraordinarily dedicated her life to, in Oakland uh, at Our Joy, Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, um, have, have changed a lot of lives over many years. And I just want to dedicate this to our youth, to the wisdom of ceasing the cycles of violence and the enculturation of violence that, uh, that Fania and so many others are responding to with great efficacy, I, I must add. Uh, we are also joined tonight by Destiny Shabazz, who is an 8th grade middle school student at West Oakland MS. So um, I'd like to just say a few more words about Fania, and then we'll go into the dialogue, starting with Destiny. Um, I want to just say that uh, Fania uh, was coming of age in Birmingham during the social ferment of the civil rights era and the murder of two close childhood friends in the 1963 Sunday School bombing crystallized within her a passionate commitment to social transformation. Now I know she's going to share a lot more about what uh, her journey has been, so I'm not going to say too much, but again, she's the co-founder and the executive director of Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth, and that's uh, our joy. So without further ado, just welcome to you both, uh, Fania and Destiny, and um, it's, it's an honor to have you here. And I, I'd like to start out uh, with you, Destiny. If you would just share with us a bit about your background and your your life story. You're in. You're about to graduate eighth grade at uh, West Oakland Middle School, and just tell us a bit about what brought you to this point in your life and how RJ might have impacted you. Welcome, dear. Okay, thank you. Well, I'll tell a little bit about myself first. Um, I was I was born in Pittsburgh, California, but my fam my mother had just moved there for a, a couple of months. But she's from Oakland, California. My whole family originated from Oakland. And after I was born, we moved back to Oakland and. I got taken away from my mother, and I was in foster care for about two years. And then my my mother's mother, my grandmother, um, she got a legal she well, she's my legal guardian. And I have fourteen brothers. Well, I have thirteen brothers and sisters, eleven brothers and three sisters. I'm the ninth child. Um, uh, I don't really. 
sequel to my mother. I don't know my father. And I was raised in Oakland, California. Now I go to West Oakland Middle School. And restorative justice has helped me where I am now. Because if it wasn't for restorative justice, I would probably be in a lot of fights and have a, well, keep up my bad attitude. I don't know. I probably wouldn't, I probably would have gave up on myself, maybe. Because I was getting in a lot of fights before I turned to restorative justice. And I was getting into it with a lot of girls. And I was being really messy. And it taught me a lot. And restorative justice, the check-ins that we do, which is like weekly, whenever you get into it with somebody, it really helps students to me and it helps Oakland because, well, one, it builds your relationships with people that you don't even like and people you probably wouldn't hang out with mostly on the daily. Like me and like one of my best friends, Carlisa Mitchell, we get into it a lot. We almost got into a lot of fights, but we're still cool now because of the sort of justice. The sort of justice has us where we are now. And luckily, I wrote an essay, and I was one of the ones out of my school who wrote the essay, and I won to go to Ohio, Toledo, Ohio, with Christina Davis and Erica Huggins and Miss Kamisha and a lot of other students in Oakland that I didn't know. I was the only middle school and the rest was high schoolers other than Miss Fatum, I mean, well, Miss Fatima's daughter, who's in elementary school, which I really had fun, and I learned from that experience. Mm. I, yeah, I did. De- Destiny, may I ask you a question? Um, you just referred to Ohio and, of course, that essay. And uh, can you say a little bit more about the essay and what you mean by you went to Ohio for some folks that may not know what you're referring to? Well, the essay was to, well, it was to write an essay about what restorative justice has, well, basically what I'm talking about, what restorative justice has um, brought me through, how has it helped me, what are the experiences I've been through with restorative justice, basically. And that's kind of what I wrote about. And, um, sorry, I don't mean to say um a lot. That's okay. (laughs) And that was for the national conference that you presented that. Is that true? Yes. Well, no. No, 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 no. I wrote the essay to to go. It was like a contest to enter to go to Ohio, and I was I one see. of. I was, yeah, but when I spoke in Ohio, I spoke to introduce uh, Miss Fanya's sister Angela Davis mm. to the conference. Yeah, I opened the conference with like something I wrote about Angela just. I looked up some stuff and I wrote it up and introduced her to the conference. Wow. Can I can I interject here? This is Fania. Yeah. Hi Destiny. Thank you. Yes, so the essay that she wrote uh, was part of a competition. Uh, the middle school students entered into that competition, and the winner, the w- winner, was able to get a full scholarship, all expenses paid, to travel to Toledo, Ohio, for the fourth annual National Restorative Justice Conference. 
uh, and uh, it was a difficult choice. Uh, I wanted all of the contestants, and I think there were were there four or five uh, Destiny. I they believe all... there was one didn't one didn't go to the you know the competition. Those four. Yes, it was a difficult choice, and we chose Destiny. Um, I really wanted all of the uh, young people to go, um, but we didn't have the fun, so Destiny uh, went. And as she said, she opened the whole national uh, conference uh, by introducing uh, the keynote speaker, uh, and that was uh, Angela Davis, my sister, and um, made a very, very strong impression on everyone present. Yes. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Destiny, and we'll get back to you in just a moment. I'd like to turn the conversation for a moment uh, with you, Fanya, to uh, talk about a little bit more of your own story and your journey uh, to restorative justice and perhaps even your movement towards wholeness. Okay. Uh, yes, as you indicated in your introduction earlier, I was born in um, Birmingham, Alabama, during the time of apartheid-like segregation um, and also during the time of a great social movement that arose to uh, counter uh, this uh, racial oppression. And, um, you know, the social messaging that I received every day was very negative. You're black, you know, uh, you're stupid, you're an inferior, um, you're inferior in intelligence, you're subhuman. Uh, when you go downtown, you know, you can't uh, eat in restaurants because they're all white. You, the children can't go to the uh, amusement parks because they're only for whites. Um, and you drink out of, white, uh, of black water fountains. So that was the whole era. And um, I was a, a sort of fierce, uh, uh, it, it, it developed in me this really fierce uh, passion uh, uh, f for social justice. Um, and when my two close friends were killed in the Sunday school bombing on September 15, 1963, that event, more than any other single factor, just sealed it for me. Um, I left the South just filled with this yearning and this burning commitment to do all that I could do and be all that I could be to create a better world. So in effect, I was put on a quest uh, for social justice. I came out of that experience sort of as a warrior for social justice and um, subsequently joined just about every single movement that you can think of for social change. Of course, starting with the civil rights movement in the South and then when I went north to school, um, joining the black student movements and then the very, um, very uh, militant black nationalists and even at one point, anti-white black nationalist movements. Uh, and then after that, joining a women's movement, uh, joining uh, the socialist movement, uh, anti-apartheid movement, anti-racial violence movement, peace movement, uh, economic justice movements. And I became a lawyer of fighting discrimination in the courts. And I, I did all of this for decades until the mid-90s approximately when I suddenly felt um, out of balance. Not suddenly, it was a creeping thing. I, I began to feel that I simply could not continue 
um, you know, uh, cultivating these hyper-rational, hyper-bellicose, uh, uh, hyper-masculinist qualities that I was compelled to cultivate uh, as a trial lawyer and even as an activist. I was really trapped in very discordant ways of being, you know, either um, uh, either or ways of being us, them, uh, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, And uh, so I was feeling the need for more healing energies, um, energies that will move me into wholeness, more feminine energies, uh, more intuitive energies, more creative and more spiritual energies. It was as if I needed that antidote to bring me back into balance. And so I uh, closed up my law practice and uh, kind of synchronistically found myself in a program called Recovery of Indigenous Mind uh, coming out of California Institute of Integral Studies. And that led me to work with healers in Africa, especially because the whole, the whole point of the program was for us, though raised as West, Westerners, to trace and recover our indigenous origins. and. So for me, that meant I did a lot of work in Africa and studied especially uh, with um, a Zulu healer by the name of Credo Mutwa, Busama Zulu Credo Mutwa in South Africa. Then came back to this country after several months, um, well, over a period of a couple of years going back and forth, and um, wrote my dissertation and couldn't find a job doing this healing work, and so I was sort of uh, compelled to go back to law practice but it was wonderful because through going back to law practice, I ended up at a conference um, that was hosted by Peter Gable and the project, project on Integrating Law, Spirituality, and Politics. And at that conference, I learned about restorative justice, and I had a real epiphany. I said, this, this is amazing because this work integrates the healer, the lawyer, and the warrior in mm. me. What so year that was, was that, Fanya? Um, that was in the early 2000s, maybe 2003. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, so that was definitely a pivotal uh, moment for me. And and after that conference, I um, actually wanted to go to Africa to do this work, but nothing came um, came through for me. And a friend said to me, Fanya, you know, uh, Darfur, is, uh, Oakland is Darfur, you know. Oakland is very much a war zone, you know, it's very, very Mm. plagued with, I mean, that's a part, an aspect of Oakland, you know, there are Mm -hmm. beautiful aspects as well, but uh, a sort of light bulb went off when she said that to me too. Uh, If we can succeed with restorative justice in Oakland, we can succeed with it just about anywhere. So that sort of got me on the path of uh, co-creating restorative justice for Oakland youth in 2000. Uh, six, and one of our first programs was at a middle school, not Destiny's Middle School, but another one that's since closed. And that program was so successful in eliminating violence and reducing suspension rates by 87% that it kind of sparked a whole movement here uh, in Oakland. Um, and so today, you know, it's it's the seed has really flowered into this has really blossomed into this beautiful flower, and we can talk a little bit more about what's happening today, some years later, um, in Oakland. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd like to I'd like to come back to that in just a moment, and maybe do a little sure. bit more exploration of of uh, the specifics of the program with you, and and of course with Destiny. Um, but Destiny, I was just wondering if if uh, you might share. 
a little bit more specific about your first experience of our joy and restorative justice for Oakland youth. How did you first find out about it, or what 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 exactly did you were you doing? Um, were you called into a circle process, or did you find out about it from a school counselor, or how did that work for you? Like, how did I get turned? Well, how did I convert into the restorative justice life? Are you saying? Sure. <laughs> yeah. How was it for you? What What was your first experience and understanding, or or have, what What did it look like on the ground? I think a lot of us um, on on these councils still are wondering, you know, how how does it really look like on the ground? Who Who's involved? Like, was it a teacher? Was it a counselor? Who was it? Well, for my experience, it was involved with some friends because I had. I guess we had, I guess there was a problem at my school between some girls, and it led to when they seen each other out of school and they fought, and I guess I was there, and um, they decided to say that I was a part of it because I didn't help or something like that, and that's, I, I forgot because it was one of the years, but I remember it had something to do with something happening in school that got passed on, so it was really with some girls. It didn't have nothing to do with no teachers or anything, but you know we get we turned into we went into Miss Kamisha's room because they don't want us to get suspended. Instead of getting suspended, we went through the restorative justice way, which was very. I was happy because to me I didn't have anything to do with it, and it wasn't fair that I would have got suspended. So I was kind of happy. Mm. Mm-hmm. So destiny is it? So basically, it, it's your first exposure to restorative justice occurred after there was a conflict between some girls, and even though you, you weren't a, a part of it, you weren't directly involved. You were brought into the restorative justice room, where Ms. Yes. Kamisha, where Ms. Kamisha, the restorative justice coordinator, did a circle as an alternative yes. to suspension. Yes. That what? Okay. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thank you. That's wonderful. And yeah, I'd just like to mention, too, to everyone with us in Circle tonight that we had the honor of talking with Miss Kamisha earlier this year, this summer, during the Summer of Peace. And uh, that archive will also be a part of the archives that we're building at restorativejusticeontherise.com. It was an incredible conversation with her, and we really got ground level on how this all works. So um, let, let, let's go back to you, Fania, and, and talk a little bit more about um, how many schools does this involve Excuse at this point. And, oh, go, go ahead, Destiny. Go ahead, dear. Um, my phone is on a low battery. Is there a way that I can call you guys back on a different phone? No problem, dear. Come back on in when you can. We're, we're going to be here and continuing the conversation. So call back in on a landline, and we'll we'll – Warmly welcome you back here in a moment. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, so Fania, tell, uh, tell us a little bit more, if you would, please, about the specifics of uh, where our joy is at now and how it's grown. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I think we were going to talk a little bit about the stories, too, maybe further on mm-hmm. down the road. But what, what else would you like to share about how sure. how it works and how it's sure, working. Sure, sure. 
Yeah, so um, in case there are listeners out there who are interested in knowing how we got the work started here, I'll talk a little bit about that. Um, well, our first act was to, this is actually before our joy was, was, was formally uh, organized, but the first thing that I did um, after attending that conference on integrating spirituality, politics, and law, and I learned about restorative justice there, um, I came back and started finding out, you know, who are the principal people in the restorative justice movement? I found out about Kay Pranis, who's considered the grandmother of contemporary restorative justice. I found out about Howard Zare, who's considered the grandfather. I found out about the Academic Center of Restorative Justice, which is in at the Eastern Mennonite University in Harrisonburg, Virginia. And then there's a West Coast uh, Mennonite University called the Fresno Pacific Union, uh, West Coast Academic Center. So I learned all these things. I went to conferences on the subject. I went to Columbia and a, and a conference on peace and restorative justice and met Desmond Tutu and many other people uh, involved in the restorative justice movement. And um, um, I actually shadowed Kay Pranis, who's considered the uh, uh, foremost theoretician and practitioner of the peacemaking circle process, and then brought her here, I believe, uh, in 2004 it was, uh, to do a training. Uh, we did a training, about 25 or so people were there, lawyers and educators and community organizers and youth. Uh, it was a great training, of a three-day training or four-day training, I don't remember, on the peacemaking circle process. Nothing really happened, even though people were very excited. Um, but then a city council person who wasn't able to come to that training um, um, called me, and well, she wasn't able to come to that training because she was on the campaign trail for re-election, but she wanted to talk more about uh, restorative justice and possibly of doing another training. So that uh, set off a series of meetings in her office. I brought some of my law students, and, and I was teaching uh, restorative justice at a nearby law school, and some community people came, and we had a series of meetings um, and, and um, decided to form uh, the organization Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth. And um, we were able to get a grant from the city, um, a violence prevention grant, uh, to fund our first pilot um, at the middle school that I mentioned earlier. And that pilot, um, as I said earlier, uh, completely eliminated violence. I mean, we had a situation where uh, after being trained in the process, in the peacemaking circle process, and participating in this process, kids were, uh, instead of fighting on the playground, coming in to the restorative justice coordinator and saying, Ms. Alfred, we need a talking piece. We need to do a circle. So they were learning new ways of addressing conflict. And in another instance, there were two boys who were fighting. I mean, this was a few blocks away from the school. But the, the, the parent who passed by uh, knew about our program, so hauled the two boys into the restorative justice coordinator's office. And uh, one of the boys said, we can't fight at school, and now we can't even fight in the neighborhood. <laughs> and uh, so, that, <laughs> so, that's, so that's just it's sort of illustrative of the cultural change that you know, the work that our whole school restorative justice approach was, was able to bring about. And word of that program uh, spread pretty rapidly throughout Oakland, and before long, uh, a number of other schools were wanting the program, 
And then by um, January of 2010, uh, there was so much sort of ground, there was a groundswell basically uh, that kind of uh, resulted in the school district passing a resolution adopting restorative justice as official school uh, discipline policy. and I just want to point out that you know the, these policy changes are really, really important. Um, um, mm-hmm. e- equally importantly, however, is that these policy changes don't come from uh, the top down; uh, that they, you know, rather come from the bottom up. And in our case, we were fortunate; we were able to do bottom up and top down simultaneously because on our founding board we had a city council member. Um, and we had a member of the Oakland Unified School District board, so we we did both. But the reason that that resolution did not sit on a shelf and collect dust is because it came out of a, a movement uh, that was underway on the ground. Um, and indeed, uh, shortly after the passage of that resolution, uh, Oakland kind of put its money where its mouth uh, was and hired a, a restorative justice program manager. Um, that's a top, pretty, pretty high-level position. Also hired restorative justice coordinators, some half-time, some full-time. Um, and today we have uh, restorative justice programs in, in approximately 11 schools. Um, and some but not all of those schools have restorative justice coordinators. Arjo itself has been in a number of schools. Today it is in two schools. Uh, so we, we are still operating in, within the district, but of course our strategy all along has been to plant the seed of restorative justice, build the capacity of the people in Oakland schools at the district and school site level to do the work and to implement their own programs. Um, and that's exactly what has happened. Oakland Unified has just taken this on, um, and the movement is growing very rapidly. Uh, today, we're looking at the program pro or restorative justice being expanded to about 25 additional, one all together would be 25 schools. That is imminent. Um, mm. that, that ex- and, and, and I was just at a school board meeting uh, a couple of weeks ago where the school board um, decided to appropriate uh, $700,000 uh, this year uh, to uh, fund the growth of, of uh, these restorative justice programs. Wow. So, uh, yeah, the, the work is definitely mm. um, underway in a, in a big way. I mean, I feel that Arjoy could leave and, the, and go somewhere else and seed another, you know, program mm-hmm. and, and the work that, will continue. Mm-hmm. I actually have a question for you along those lines, and it looks like Destiny is back with us, and I'd like to go over to her huh. in just a moment. But, Fania, sure. um, have you ever thought about creating some form of guide for others to replicate your programs? Or do you do – I know that you do training as a part of uh, – you've, you've, like you were saying, you ho- you've hosted Cape Prentis even more recently this year, it looks like, and you've had great events – um, so you're doing a lot of different things, but have you ever considered writing up a manual or a guideline or a, some form of template for folks? Molly, I would love to write. <laughs> that, I am just, <laughs> I am waiting for the day when I won't be so busy, you know, with uh-huh. um, with raising funds and doing administrative work and reports and grants and personnel matters and numbers. 
Uh, in the summer, um, I think the, the closest I got to really doing some writing has been a couple of articles. I did an article for Tacoon. And mm-hmm. and just doing that was it's so difficult to find to take away that kind of to have protected time which is what you mm-hmm. really need, and uh, I'm I am very um, in, in, intently and um, intensively uh, searching for um, and praying for a way uh, uh, to open for me to do more writing and. And less of the you know day to day administrative work because I'd love to write mm-hmm. uh, about you know maybe a guide like like you just discussed mm-hmm. a curriculum mm-hmm. we don't really have a strong um, state of the art uh, interactive uh, user friendly uh, easy to navigate um, uh, curriculum for school based mm-hmm. restorative justice applications either so I mean mm-hmm. that's one of the things I'd love to I'd love to write about um, um, uh, race and restorative justice that's mm. a huge topic we haven't really mm-hmm. talked about that and i'd love to write i'd love to go to africa and learn more about african indigenous peacemaking processes and what we might mm. learn from our ancestors um right. uh, and from the, you know from our ancestors who um were in many cases very wise people and have a whole sort of techno- technology of wholeness um, and healing and spirituality mm. that we 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 really uh, direly need today mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. Thank you so, so much for bringing that into the room yeah, too. Thank yeah, you for that. Yeah. Um, just honoring our ancestors mm-hmm. and their wisdom and mm-hmm. and all the informing and uh, transmissions that come from from behind us in this way. And um, I just want to take a quick station break and welcome you. If you're just joining us, we're having a wonderful conversation with Fanya Davis and Destiny Shabazz, who is an eighth grade middle school student at West Oakland Middle School. And, um, of course, Fanya is the co-founder and executive director of Our Joy. Uh, that's restorative justice for Oakland youth. And I want to point out, if you haven't already surfed over to their website, it's Our Joy Oakland. Dot org. That's rjoyoakland.org. And just to re- give reference, too, to the article that you just spoke about a moment ago, Fanya, um, at Takoon, if you Google what's love got to do with it, uh, or just Google Takoon and Fanya Davis, you'll find a very powerful article that she wrote and just had referenced a moment ago. Um, so, I'd just like to turn uh, for a moment before we go into uh, opening up the room for some live questions to ask you, Destiny, a little bit about, and welcome back, by the way, dear. (laughs) It's great to have you back. Um, What's the word on the street uh, from the eyes of our youth and and your, your, your friends, your peer groups, when it comes to restorative justice and practices, what are people saying, thinking, feeling? Um, you know, what what kind of signals are kids giving around uh, this process? Uh, are, is there resistance? Uh, are people realizing it actually works? What what's going on? Um, I'm sorry. Can you please repeat that question? Sure, sure. I'm just wondering, from your point of view. What are uh, your friends and other kids, youth, 
feeling about restorative justice? Um, do they think, you know, a certain way about it? Are they seeing um, that it is making a difference? Are you noticing anything? I observe that kids, that restorative justice is really helping kids, and I think that other kids believe that restorative justice is helping them too. Because usually what I hear from kids when they think of restorative justice is they always say that it helps them not get suspended, you know. And the kids who really go deeper, you know, they'd be like, you know, the, the pipeline of jail, that it helps them in school not get in trouble. And when you're not, you know, well... To me, when I even when I'm in class, because I have a connection with my, I'm sorry, I don't know why my phone is doing that, but I have a connection with with Miss Kamisha. So when I'm so when I'm in class, so when I'm in class and I need to like get away for a little bit, I do go to the restorative justice room, not because I'm in trouble or I got no conflict, just so I can have a, I feel safe and it's kind of quiet and peaceful in there so I can do my work. So it helps me with my work. I don't know about other students, but I think it does for them too. Mm. Mm, I remember once you. I was, I remember once, Destiny, I was over at um, West Oakland Middle School and um, there was a girls' circle that was just breaking up. And I asked the girls, well, you know, uh, how do you feel about being in circle? And they said, well, we really like it because we get a chance to really connect with one another, and we don't normally have a chance to do that. And, and we like the feeling of, um, of being connected closely to one another, and we, we don't get that chance, that opportunity. Have you heard yeah, that, we kind don't. Of, that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And hey, Destiny. Go ahead, yeah. Destiny, have you, have you had some... Have you had any, any conflicts that that were taken to circle uh, that, you know, that helped you get through yeah. those conflicts? Okay. Yeah. Okay. And were you, the person, were you the person causing the harm or the person who uh, was harmed? I've been in both the offender and the um, person who has been harmed. I've been both. You've been both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And why don't you tell us a little bit about how that how it went, you know, how did you start and what did you do in the middle and how did you end? Um, well, because usually I have um, I have a lot of experience, so usually I would, like, open the circle, which I like opening our circle with either a poem, because I really like Tupac with, like, a poem or maybe a song, but usually I do poems. Mm -hmm. And... um. I like to state before we start so the girls won't think that we're still, like, in, like, a beefing vibe. I don't want that vibe in the circle, so I break to them, like, they are open to say anything. Well, not anything, but, you know, anything they're feeling, and I want to be open, open to say anything I'm feeling. So we would just have an open vibe. And then we would get our session started, like, how did how did they feel in the situation? How did I feel? Did they feel that I harmed them? Or did I feel that they harmed me in any way or form? And usually if anybody says I harmed them, I want to apologize from the jump because I don't want to make nobody feel like I harmed them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. And then how how do you, well, before we go to how you end up, do you guys have a round on values? Um. Well, yeah. I think um, 
I meant to say that before I said the first part. I think we have to set our our basics of values, like, you know, the respect level and all of that, and what do they want from me in this circle, what do I want from them in this circle, mm. from the base, just so we won't have no disrespect going on in the circle. Mm-hmm. Okay. And... And give us an example of how you might end, you know, what the plan is. Do you, have, do you come out with a plan in a case yeah. where you harm somebody? Okay, and give us an example of what that might look like and, and how you come up with that plan. Usually when I come up with that plan or we come up with that plan, I usually want to see what I... Hold on. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> usually... <laughs> because I was doing some, I'm sorry. Because I'm using somebody else's phone. Um, uh, oh my God, they just really interrupted me. We I, were talking about the plan. The plan. Yeah, the plan. Okay. Usually, the plan is where we would. Usually, when I'm in the circle, our plan is usually at the end of the day we plan a check-in system. So where we would check in about whatever happened with the problems. And usually at the end of my in my circles, usually at the end of my circles, we are I know, we are usually cool by then, and we do check-in circles, and yeah, that's usually what I do in my circles. Um, but we do plot out what are we gonna do, like when we're gonna check in, like every other week, and like yeah. And and okay. Destiny, who tracks that? Do you write something Ms. down? Miss Kamisha, we write it down in our restorative justice. There's like a there's kind of like a format that Miss Kamisha has already printed out for us, and we wow. kind of just fill it out. Hmm. Wow, it's so great to hear about the specifics. Thank you so much, Destiny. And I I just want to leave uh, a, a bit of time here to um, welcome the circle to press one on your telephone keypad. If you'd like to ask a question of either Fanya or Destiny or both of them, and I also would just like to really acknowledge and thank Yes Magazine and all the work that they've done, as well as Takoon um, in the field of restorative justice as uh, two amazing outlets, media outlets. And um, on that note, one of the most, uh, one, well, actually a, a past guest of Restorative Justice on the Rise, guest speaker Sarah Van Gelder has submitted a question, and I'd like to um, go ahead and open that up. Um, if you might speak to what she asks, Fanya, um, and, and her question is, are there any special projects within schools to interrupt the school-to-prison pipeline? And again, thank you, Sarah, for your participation and for all the work that you do in this great question. Yes, uh, thank you uh, for me as well, Sarah. Um, so I would say that almost everything that we do, Restorative Justice for Oakland Youth does in the schools, um, inter- interrupts the school-to-prison pipeline. Uh, and I'll talk more specifically about that. One, when we offer alternatives to suspension, um, when we work with the principal or the vice principal to say, well, can we uh, allow Tommy, we know he cursed out the teacher, and um, normally he would be suspended, but can we try a restorative process instead of suspending him? 
Um, and when we do that, you know, we find out that, that Tommy cursed out the teacher. We, we, we get to the bottom of things and we figure out that he, he's doing that because his mother has relapsed and she has not been around the home for the last two, two days and two nights. He's got two younger siblings, we discover, that he's been feeding and he's been getting off to school. And when he snaps at the teacher because of the incredible stress that he's under, we are ready to kick him out of school. And I think someone said he, should, he deserves a medal, you know, uh, for holding up under that kind of pressure. But we only find out about these things because we have a restorative justice process that is planned carefully by the restorative justice coordinator, a process that involves the teacher who was cursed out, that involves, brings in the mother, that involves the youth, that involves the principal, and perhaps other students who might have been impacted. So had Tommy um, been kicked out of school, you know, for five days or whatever, which might have been normal in that kind of situation, uh, he probably, his chances in Oakland of uh, being incarcerated would be about 70%. So that's a very clear program approach that we use to interrupt the school-to-prison pipeline. There are other approaches that are proactive. And many people think of restorative justice as um, interventions that, uh, that come into play after the harm has been done involving uh, the responsible party in an encounter uh, with the harmed party. However, we are discovering that it is it's important to actually do more proactive work than responsive or reactive work. So we try to do about 70% proactive circles to 30% uh, uh, conflict circles. So we do a lot of trust-building circles, community circles, talking circles, understanding circles, celebration circles, grief circles. All of these are tend to, 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 to build community, deepen relationships, um, and, and create a culture of connectivity, uh, which is a huge thing, uh, which is a huge intervention uh, in terms of, uh, of, of, of um, interrupting the school-to-prison pipeline. Let me give you some examples. So we've got a program going at a continuation high school in West Oakland, and this is sort of the last stop. Every youth in that school, enrolled in that school, has been in, in, in the juvenile justice system, and in many cases, multiple times. So if they don't make it through this school, they probably won't make it through any school. At this school, we began a program two years ago. This school was very uh, kind of infamous for violent fights happening constantly. Uh, we started the program two years ago, and uh, violent referrals for violence uh, decreased by 77%. Over two years, suspension rates decreased by uh, 80, approximately 82%. And a good, and, and we were also able to completely eliminate racial disparity in discipline, which is a huge issue in Oakland, where 17% of the student population is African American male, but uh, over 40% of those suspended had been 
uh, African-American males. There's been an Office of Civil Rights investigation, a big hoop to do about, you know, an investigation. And then a complaint was brought against the district, and there has been a settlement and a voluntary resolution plan. So that's getting a lot of attention in our district. And restorative justice is proving very helpful in eliminating and reducing uh, this racial disparity. Anyway, so at this particular school, the restorative justice coordinator was working with youth who were at 0.0 grade point averages, not expected to graduate, had been in and out of the juvenile justice system multiple times, and um, you know were really headed toward uh, uh, prison. He did all kinds of wonderful proactive circles with them on subjects that they chose, like hip hop, uh, being you know what does family mean, what does being a man mean. Um, and um, after about a year, these youth were pulling up their grade point averages to like 3.6, and one ended up being the valedictorian, valedictorian uh, uh, two years ago. And another became the student representative on the Oakland Unified School District Board. And um, another um, graduated and went to college, and they're just incredible success stories. Uh, and in those cases, we use that proactive community building model, circle model, to interrupt the school to prison pipeline because these boys were definitely headed uh, toward toward prison. So uh, that's just an example of the work that we do, the approaches that we use in schools to interrupt the school to prison pipeline. Uh, oh, a third. I talked about two approaches. One, the conflict circle as an alternative to suspension. Second, the community building circle. And third would be the reentry circle. The reentry circle is what's done uh, after youth has been absent from school uh, due to incarceration and needs assistance in returning um, and reintegrating into the school community in a positive and healthy way. So we do circles, we do support circles and accountability circles to welcome them back into the school community. And we have done that, and, the, and with the youth, we just, we did one that's on a video. I mean, if you, if you Google welcome and reentry circle um, Bunch High School, uh, you'll see an example of that kind of, of circle. In that case, a young man had, had been in, in, in juvie for at least a year, I believe, and it, it uh, concerned a fairly serious incident uh, regarding a weapon. And uh, he returned uh, to the school. We did a wonderful uh, reentry circle, and um, it was, it's a very moving, I, I really recommend that you, that you take a look at it, listeners out there. Uh, there's crying, there's laughter, you know, the family and the boy starts out saying, you know, I never liked teachers. Teachers never got along with me. And you could see that he's very, very skeptical. But by the end, you know, he says, you know, he sees that these people are really here to help me. And the mother's crying. Nobody has ever, you know, cared as much as, as, as these people care and done as much um, so that's the third. That that youth is doing really well. He graduated and um, wow. is working. Yep, and is in in college. And he he was on. It was a weapons charge. He was definitely on his way. So that's another example of what we do to interrupt the school to prison pipeline. It's essentially, everything that we do has that impact. Wow. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much for lining those up to those three major points and a couple of vignette stories that are real solid. Um, proof of the efficacy of these processes. I'd like to open up uh, for a live question. Um, Stephen, welcome. You're live. 
Stephen, you're live. Welcome. Oh, hi. I didn't think I'd get on because I pushed the button so late. Um, it's great to hear from you. Um, first, I wanted to say what a pleasure it is to, I, I'm not sure how to pronounce it, Fania? Fania. A lot of your sister's uh, work. Um, and I, I wanted to mention how important it is to, uh, for, for those that are getting out of prison, um, to have a, a, a reentry program in their community. Um, yes. I think that's a, a first step toward uh, restorative justice. So, and uh, I also wanted to see if I could get a plug in for the uh, KWVA University of Oregon show that uh, I'll be doing on the 17th and the 30th. Um, speaking about restorative justice and the importance of community involvement in, in uh, reentry programs. Mm. Yes, that, that's 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 beautiful, Steve. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I know that's a, more of a comment than a question, but I want to respond by saying that we have been doing some pilot um, reentry work. Um, when restorative justice for Oakland youth got started, our our strategy uh, to uh, implement our mission of um, uh, bringing about a cultural shift from punitive responses to youthful wrongdoing uh, to restorative responses, uh, from punitive responses that add to the harm to restorative responses that heal the harm. That's our mission, basically. And um, initially, our uh, approach, and it still is, was to seed restorative justice practices and principles in the juvenile justice system, in schools, and in the community. Um, our work, we are most known at the present time for our work in the schools, and that's where a lot of the funding came, that's where the energy just kind of moved very rapidly and, and kind of embracing the work um, that we were doing in schools, and it's grown um, quite uh, quite rapidly, as I indicated earlier. However, we still are, we, we sort of piloted uh, work in the juvenile justice system. We worked with a number of partners. We trained uh, on, uh, people from a number of different community-based organizations who are now doing restorative programs themselves. Um, and um, that includes people who are doing juvenile justice um, applications. Uh, we are really proud that we have Community Works West doing a diversion program um, for 100 youth per year. So there are 100 youth who are, are not being incarcerated and instead are going through New Zealand-style restorative processes. Um, and in custody juvenile justice work, we have another organization that does a victim offender education group um, uh, training inside for youth who are incarcerated. And our joy is still holding down the circles of support and accountability uh, for uh, uh, post-disposition, uh, post-release. So we're st we are working along the entire continuum of the juvenile justice process. We have not mm -hmm. gotten the buy-in. We haven't gotten the money and the buy-in that we see in the ju in the schools system. Uh, mm -hmm. We actually have we we've got the philosophical buy-in, but we're still working hard with probation, with the judges, and with the county board of supervisors uh, to you know urge them to put some money there 
and I think we are we are about to make a breakthrough. I think on mm-hmm. on this fourth. But yes, I totally agree with you, Steve. That you know it's really important to engage these processes post-release reentry, and and we we're doing that on a pilot on a small scale. But we do have a commitment from the county that if this pilot works as well as we believe it will, that they will consider taking over complete funding uh, and expanding the program after three years. So mm. we're in our first year. We're in our first year of doing that now. Um, mm. thank, yeah. and, and, and thank you. Thank, thanks, Steve, for that question. Um, excuse me for interrupting, Fanya. Uh, please complete, and then let's go to a, one more question before we close tonight. Oh, well, wow. we're already near close. I know. Yeah. Time flies, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Well, Molly, I was just going to add that we have done, we did a small pilot um, reentry program a few years ago, and all of the youth who went through that um, reentry, uh, restorative reentry program, none of them recidivated. None of them. Wow. And uh, you look at the average um, rate of recidivism in our county, it's 75%. Uh, for youth uh, who are incarcerated in in, uh, in county and local uh, in local uh, facilities. Uh, so, in other words, youth who have been locked up, when they get out, their chance of reoffending and going back is 75%. But when they go through a restorative justice uh, reentry program, um, it's probably going to be reduced to something like you know 10 to 20 percent. In our case, in our small pilot, none of them have recidivated, and that was like three years ago. Yeah. Wow, it's it's great to lay out those those very tangible stats, and and that actually was you already uh, answered ahead of time one of the other great questions that was submitted um, by Larry. Larry, thank you for your question. Um, and that was, do you have any data as to the reduction in recidivism, which you've spoken about? Um, and he also adds, how do you get law enforcement to turn cases over to an RJ program before going through the booking process? He says, we are getting cases months after an incident has occurred. And so maybe yeah. you could speak just a bit to that last part of the question, and then we'll go into closing. Sure. Uh, well, um from the very beginning, we have cultivated relationships with systems people um, uh, while doing the work on the ground, of course. Um, for example, we made a presentation to the chief of probation and the presiding juvenile judge um, early on, I think in 2007. Immediately, the presiding juvenile judge saw great promise in this work, and she was just uh, ignited and formed a task force of 60 juvenile justice stakeholders from around the county. Uh, that uh, task force ended up uh, uh, adopting uh, a plan, a strategic plan to completely transform the county's juvenile justice system to make it more restorative. And she would convene that task force, you know, on a regular basis. Recently, we haven't been meeting so much, but for a few years, we were meeting just about every month. So we built relationships, you know, with the judges and with the district attorneys and with the public defenders and with the court personnel. Uh, And we were able to get uh, the uh, agreement of law enforcement to refer cases to us. Uh, directly, uh, you know, instead of, um, in fact, in, in, in this county, uh, the, the I told you about Community West who's doing the diversion program. We got 
uh, an agreement from the district attorney in charge of juvenile cases to be able to just come in and go through all of his files and pick the cases <laughs> that we thought would be good for restorative justice. Mm. So we we just it's all about relationships, you know, just mm-hmm. having we'd have social events, the the task force, we'd see each other every month and um yeah. So that's that's basically the way, and we I guess in Calif in Northern California, uh, some people say we're there's a kind of exceptionalism here, but uh, it's we've really found that this that systems have been very open. Now we're still waiting for juvenile justice to put up some money, but they've been open definitely philosophically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I know we didn't get to to go into much at all um, the national context, but I just want to mention that you've been a a deeply active part in creating a national organization, and of course we mentioned earlier the Toledo, Ohio conference this summer, which was the beginning of NACRJ, and people can go to NACRJ.org, I believe. Is that that correct, Fania, for more information about the national organization? And um, just it's it's tough to have to close, but in respect for folks' time tonight, um, we're going to move in that direction now. And I'd really like to hear again from you, Destiny, in closing, and then a few closing comments from you as well, Fania. Um, are you still with us, Destiny? Yes. Well, it's just been a pleasure to have you tonight. And I, I just wondered if you had anything you'd like to share with us um, before we sign off for the evening. Um, about restorative justice, about your life, uh, anything people that you, you want to make sure people take with them as we leave tonight? Yes. Um, one, I really want to thank you guys for having me on. It's really been nice to hear everything that everybody's acting been saying. And two, two, well, I just want to open this out to anybody who would like to come because I work for an organization called YOLO Youth Organization. Oh, I'm sorry, Youth Organizing Leadership Opportunities. Yeah, that's the name of it. It's called YOLO, and we try to stop dysfunctional families, violence, and drugs. And we haven't. We are. I mean, we are having a march at the Farmery Park in Oakland, California, to stop to stop all of that this Saturday. So anybody, if you're in Oakland, California, please come to McClymouth High School and meet us so we can all march and at eleven time, o'clock. Dear? Eleven o'clock. Okay, great. Anybody Wonderful. who can come. Anybody who can come. It's the youth in Oakland. Destiny, I am I'm bowing to you for your work and your contribution to this field, and I'm so delighted that we were able to connect you on this council tonight, and I hope you'll stay in touch. Thank you so yes, much. And, and so, Fania, any closing comments tonight? Yeah, I also want to acknowledge you, Destiny, um, and acknowledge all of the youth um, I think in many ways I'm inspired to work with youth in my elder years based on my experience as a youth growing up in Birmingham, Alabama, and based on my experience of having lost two close friends to to violence uh, uh, at such an early age. 
And when I see now, you know, the violence that our children are exposed to, it's just, it's unimaginable. And I think that my experience coming out of Birmingham gives me all the more passion to, uh, you know, to, to, to serve as a protector of our youth, a nurturer of our youth. Uh, they are our future. You are our future destiny. And I know that the huge changes that, that, that the world is waiting for, that we must have if we are to have a future, as a species and as a planet, it's the youth who's going to bring who are going to bring about that change. Uh, it's always been the youth. If you look historically, you know whether in Birmingham, Alabama, where the youth faced the dogs and the hoses, and that ended up, you know, bringing down the system of, of segregation. The youth who sat in, you know, in Raleigh, North Carolina, against the advice of the adults. The youth in Tiananmen Square. The youth in Tahrir Square. The youth. Uh, uh, you know, South Africa. You look, yeah, so all that's to say is that I'm here to support you, Destiny, and all of the youth because cause history is calling on you uh, to make the changes that we really, really must make today. So I just want to honor you and, mm-hmm. and all the youth. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been an extraordinary honor and pleasure to host both of you this evening and to be with all of you, wherever you're calling or Skyping in from around the world. Um, And I just want to also point your attention one more time to the Our Joy website, which is ourjoyoakland.org, and check out the events and the videos, the resources. Also check out that recent article that Fanya penned, What's Love Got to Do With It? That's on tikkun.org. Um, And, of course, uh, in acknowledgement to the Peace Alliance for co-sponsoring this programming, please join us next week, same time, same place. Make sure that you get involved in uh, signing up for the newsletter that goes out every week that keeps you updated on the schedule for restorative justice on the rise. We've recorded tonight's session. We'll be providing that as an archive, and we encourage you to surely free all of the archives as resources and tools. This is an open source platform for all of us to exponential, uh, exponentially share and to um, continue to implement and rise up with restorative justice. On behalf, again, of the Peace Alliance, thank you so much, Fanya Davis and Destiny Shabazz. We'll see you next week, everyone. I'm Molly Rowan Leach. This has been Restorative Justice on the Rise. Thank you.